Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. You're listening to episode 51 of Hack to Start. This episode features Matt Fiedler, the co-founder and CEO of Vinyl Me Please, the best damn record club out there. Tyler and I wanted to invite Matt onto the show to share his insights and experiences as a musician and entrepreneur. Matt grew up with a passion and interest in music from his dad. Always wanting to start his own thing, Matt and his co-founder Tyler launched Vinyl Me Please as a passion project. Today, they ship to more than 40 countries worldwide and have a rapidly growing user base of subscribers and music lovers. This is going to be an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Matt. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So we'd like to start things off by getting to know a bit about yourself, where you're from, what did you study, and how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? That's a good question. Um, so I'm originally from Chicago, just outside Chicago, actually, a suburb called LaGrange. Uh, it's about 30 minutes straight west of downtown. Um, I went to school at Belmont University in Nashville. Uh, originally wanted to study music production, but got down there. Uh, and was just kind of overwhelmed with the technicalities of the production world uh, and kind of what felt like a very limited career path from it. So very quickly changed my emphasis to be on the business side of the music industry. Um, And then around the same time, I was getting really interested in just entrepreneurship in general. So I added a secondary major that was entrepreneurship. And kind of what fueled my passion was just the idea that like, I thought I'd always wanted to work for myself and have you know a company that I was building and a product that I cared about uh, and whatnot because I'd worked for tons of people before and that had been great and whatever but just always had felt sort of called that I was supposed to do my own thing and and do something bigger and and more important in the world so kind of wanted to pursue that and figured the best way to do it was through our entrepreneurship program which at that time I think was rated as one of the best in the country I'm not sure if it still is but really great staff really great faculty that has tons of experience in building businesses and whatnot. So I figured now is as good a time as any to, to start learning what that's like. That's really cool. So, so Vinyl Me Please isn't your first startup. You also launched a marketing apparel company back in 2010. What motivated you to start that? It's funny because it's like, <laughs> it's something I put on my resume to look good when I was applying for jobs after college. <laughs> but um, essentially what I did there is like, I... For a long time, I was trying to break into the. Mu- I was trying to like get into the music industry in some way, but it's so tight knit and it's so hard to like get any sort of position. That really, I just found the best way to do it was just to kind of do it yourself. So mm-hmm. what I did was just found a couple of artists that were friends at Belmont, and said like, "Hey, I'll manage your social media for you. I'll manage your website. I'll do essentially whatever you need me to do, and like you don't have to worry about paying me." Um, I just want the experience. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good way to get my foot in the door and, and sort of learn um, sort of the ins and outs of like social media marketing and whatnot. Um, and then I was really interested in just kind of the technical side of things, so like web development and whatnot. So 
it just gave me an outlet to kind of pursue those things and learn more about them with in kind of a, a productive environment, not just willy-nilly like developing some website that nobody would ever see or anything like that. So um, that was kind of the basis around it. I don't think I ever made any money from it, but um, mm. it was fun. It was just a good opportunity to learn and, and to work with people and to sort of get within the Belmont community and whatnot. So That's awesome. So you, so you had the chance to work with some amazing companies as a product manager. What were some of the biggest lessons learned during that time? And do you think it helped to better prepare you for for building Vital Me, please? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest lessons that I learned in any of my experiences, it sounds kind of funny, but what not to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's true with any job, you know, as you kind of work your way through uh, just like a career path or whatever, you learn in, in just kind of starting from the bottom and working your way up. You learn a lot about yourself in terms of what you don't want to do, which in turn helps you shape your understanding of what you do want to do. Um, and that was the same thing for me when working with these companies. It's just that like, I saw a lot of good managers. I saw, I saw a lot of bad managers. Um, I saw a lot of things done right, and I saw probably more things done wrong. Um, so it was really cool to have kind of the firsthand experience in all of that and you know, not necessarily being responsible, but being a, a key player. Um, but it wasn't like it was my money on the line or it wasn't my company that was on the line. So it was kind of a really good way to learn those things without having to take on you know, the brunt of the responsibility. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest things aside from that is just that like ideas are good to have, but the execution is probably the most important part of the whole process. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a problem solver. So I love working with people and I love taking ideas and, and kind of figuring out how best to execute them, uh, in the way that they're meant to be. Um, and that's, you know, I, again, working with those companies, I saw that done really well and I saw it done really poorly. Um, so just those learnings have, have really helped translate it over to Vinyl Please and, and build a product that people care about and that, you know, we as a team are passionate about. Cool. So how do you, uh, I just want to ask a little bit about that. Like, what's your process for jumping from idea to execution? How do you go about figuring out what the, what the right steps to take are? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of different with each idea. There's no, I don't really have a defined process per se, but, um, I really like to start simple. So just understanding what, what is the kind of the foundation of the idea or the problem rather that you're trying to solve and like, what's the simplest path to solving that or addressing it at least. Um, and then going from there, I think a lot of times people, and myself included, you have an idea and then you automatically think you need, you need like a million different things in order for it to be solved or in order to like actually launch it, which really you could probably get away with doing one or two things. And if you just do those right, or at least decent, then you're off to a good start. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I've seen a couple of different companies and both of friends and just, you know, bigger entrepreneurial endeavors is that they take on too much. And we've even done this at Vinyl Me Please. You take on too much and then you sort of lose focus, um, which really detracts from like the kind of the larger mission and the larger problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, absolutely. That's some really good advice. So we've mentioned it a few times, you know, you're the co-founder and CEO of Vinyl Me Please. Uh, but before we get right into what, what that all means, you know, where does your passion for music come from? Uh, it really stems from my dad, actually. Um, when I was growing up, he had a cover band by the terrible name of Hot Carl. Um, <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> and they they used to practice in our basement. So I mean, for as long as I can remember, I would be down there just dancing around while they were practicing and whatnot. And I, I loved it. I mean, it was it was every it was like the highlight of my week. It's my dad's band practice, and you know they would come over and they would bring candy for all of us. They'd be like drink beer for themselves, and we'd have sodas and whatnot, and just like we were a part of the band and almost like their you know their groupies and whatnot. So it was super cool. Um, and then. Their drummer, actually, he just kept his drum set at our house. Um, that's where they practice and whatnot. So my dad was a guitar player, and I was always fascinated by drums and just sort of started to pick it up on my own. Uh, my dad helped me. He gave me a couple of Sheryl Crow records to listen to. It was like, just play along to this. He taught me a really simple beat. He's like, just play this song, play it for three minutes, and don't mess it up. And I was like, okay. Um, so that was kind of my first introduction to playing music. And then as I was growing up, I just kept getting into it more and more through my dad and and he was listening to tons of music he had a record collection of probably 2000 plus records and he had uh one of the first commercial like cd burners so he actually paid me like a dollar per record to burn it from vinyl onto cd um so that was kind of my first touch into vinyl as well and then sort of just grew from there and i had like a band in middle school uh, with a buddy, we did like a bunch of weird covers for like school projects and stuff like that. Um, and my dad had all the recording stuff in our basement, so that was kind of what led me to to be really interested in music production. Um, had bands all throughout high school. Was super super interested in it. Uh, was always the guy at school that was like, "Ooh, what you know? What kind of band should I be listening to? What what new music is out there and whatnot?" And I was just kind of a very adventurous person from a music perspective that I think my friends. Uh, ultimately <laughs> took advantage of to, <laughs> to some degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I don't, I don't think there's any one thing that's led me to be passionate about music, but it's just kind of from the get go is just super interested in it. And my dad was within the lifestyle. So he just kind of helped develop it and, and just kept giving me CDs to listen to and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. That's awesome. So, you know, what, what is Vinyl Me Please when it, when it comes down to it? And, and was it all that, you know, that, that music history that kind of motivated you to start it? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the foundation of what Vinyl Me Please is, is it's obviously a record of the month club, but it's like what we try to do is focus on great albums, like from start to finish. Um, and the thought being that there's so much good music and there's so many great albums out there that like it's really hard to keep up with it all and that... Um, there's so because there's so much great music and it's so it's worth your time that they just don't get the attention that they that they need. So we tried to build a service that like really brought the album to the forefront and like tried to focus on those things that are really underappreciated and maybe just totally undiscovered, um, and just give those to as many people as we could. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Vinyl Me Please is actually pretty, you know, v- very much different from other Box of the Month companies. And you mentioned it a little bit right there. But um, how else do you guys differentiate yourselves from other sort of, you know, box companies in, in that industry? Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. I've never really thought about that. But it, what we really try to do is, is we, one, we try to make it a community. So it's not, it's not like Dollar Shave Club where you're just getting racers every month and there's you can't really build a community out that out of that like what makes Dollar Shave Club I think successful is their brand and their voice and their marketing and all that but what we try to do is we try to because music is so communal and it's it's relevant both personally and kind of within a group that we try to foster uh, both of those at the same time which is easier said than done but it's for us it's all about building that experience and kind of building the community around music um, and it's it's super unique from any other 
box of the month or any other you know music service out there in that there's you know thousands of people worldwide talking about a single record uh for an entire month um and that's just i don't think that's replicated across any service whether it's uh box of the month or uh music discovery music streaming or anything like that so i think just the focus on a singular product and a singular item um is probably our biggest differentiator Cool. How do you pick the artists that you guys are going to feature and work with? Um, it's not a very scientific process, and that's by design. Uh, we, you know, we're looking over the course of any given period of time, whether it's three months or a year or three years, that we want to feature a pretty broad spectrum of music. Yeah. Um, so varying artists, time periods, genres, so on and so forth. And I mean, our first focus is obviously on the album. It's got to be something that, you know, on its musically is is just amazing from start to finish. Um, so when we're, you know, figuring out what record we want to feature for a given month, we're looking at what we featured previously, what we have kind of coming maybe after that specific slot, um, and then just trying to find something that is unique. Uh, so if it's a blues record, then something that's like, you know, not necessarily the Muddy Waters and the Holland Wolf that everybody would expect, but you know, maybe an R.L. Burnside record or a big Bill Brunsey record that is something a little bit just under the layer of, of public consciousness such that it's like it is an element of discovery that when you get it, it's like, man, I've never heard of this. And you put it on, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I never heard of this. Um, so that's, I mean, it's, that's kind of the process. It's, again, it's not, it's not very well defined, but we sort of like it like that. And it, it allows us, it allows for a lot of serendipitous, like, holy shit, I just heard this record. Like, it's amazing. Like we got to figure out a way to do it, a way to feature it or something like that. Or if somebody recommends it to us, or even if a member is just like tweeting at us and like, you got to listen to this and we give it a spin. We're like, yeah, this is amazing. Like undeniably is it, it's great. And it's something that everybody needs to have on their shelf. Um, so those, those are, I guess that's kind of a little bit of insight into our process. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. No, I love it. It's super epic. So, um, you know, you guys have grown pretty quickly. So what are the three most, uh, like important things that an outsider would need, would need to know about sort of growth hacking the subscription box industry? That's a really good question. I think there, there's a lot of stuff that we've learned, um, tr- sort of trial by fire. Uh, we're all like first time entrepreneurs for the most part. So, I think the biggest thing with the fulfillment or physical product company is that like logistics are a literal nightmare. They will drown you in a heartbeat if you're not on top of it. Um, everything from international shipping to just even domestic shipping is just such a pain in the ass that it's really, really hard uh, that if you don't have like an intentional focus on making sure those things are tight and put together, then you know at the end of the day, it's probably going to kill you. Um, and to, to go along with that is that people tend to get bored pretty quickly, ex- especially with subscription services. Um, I think there's a technical term for it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, it's really important to keep the member engaged month to month and keep delivering consistent value. So if you don't have your logistics figured out, then it's hard to deliver on a consistent basis with a quality product. Um, and that's one thing that we've really, really focused a lot on. And it's way, I mean, even to the point where like we're placing orders six or seven months in advance to be sure, to be absolutely sure that we have the inventory in time uh, to ship for our monthly shipment. Um, and it's things like that. It's just, it's really hard to manage. And if like, if you take your eye off it for a second, then it will just totally crush you. Um, and I'd say probably the last thing is, is your member base is your biggest asset 
you know, there's, you get a lot of feedback from them. There are people that are using your product on a regular basis. They have a lot of great insight. And they're also your biggest advocates. Um, so leveraging that group of people to tell their friends and to spread the word is probably the best thing that you can do for your own subscription-driven company just because it, it's way easier to get those people to tell their friends and for them to advocate for you than it is to you know spend however much money on Facebook or Twitter or whatever to find a new person. Um, and you'd be surprised to think at how little people will do that you know, if they love your company enough, how, for how little of an incentive they'll actually go about doing that. Yeah, for sure. So kind of related to that, you know, what have been some of the, the best marketing channel you guys have seen uh, to help grow Vinomi, please? Uh, definitely word of mouth is the biggest. We're totally bootstrapped. So when we first started, we had 12, we had 12 members in our first month. Um, and we didn't have a marketing budget. So we really relied on those 12 people to tell their friends. And then the next month we had like 25 people. Mm -hmm. And then all those 25 people told their friends. And then it grew to like 40 and 50 and 100 and so on and so forth. Um, so from day one, that word of mouth has been a huge thing for us. And we just recently implemented like an incentivized uh, referral program, which has been doing really, really well for us. Um, the second thing is social advertising, so Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. Those things are really great just because of the sheer like virality around a particular post. Um, the key thing there is just trying to lock in on one, the target, so the target audience, just in you know leveraging the varying algorithms that they have to target specific people, but also around the messaging and the communication. So the lifestyle and kind of the ethos of our brand is one thing that we try to communicate a lot, uh, which is it's hard to do that on a level that resonates with a wide audience of people. Uh, so it's something that we've spent a lot of time crafting and honing in on. Um, and I think the last one, which sounds sort of no-brainer-ish, but it's just association with uh, either brands or people, individuals, um, through like specific channels. So like Mark Marin's podcast, the WTF podcast, we've sponsored a couple of his episodes. And that out of any podcast we've ever sponsored, that by far and away gets us the biggest ROI on the money that we spend. Um, and Mark, is a, he's a friend of the companies and is a subscriber himself. So it makes it really easy for him to talk about it. Um, and then we've got a couple of like influential people that are just in our member base. And so when we're tweeting out updates and whatnot, we'll send them a link to the tweet and they'll often retweet it. And you know, that's then however many thousands of people that we then have the attention of. Uh, so it's just those types of things, kind of like the, the specific channel association driven outlets are, are also re really important for us. For sure. That's awesome. That's, that's really good to hear that, you know, people are willing to open up their networks for you guys, which is, I think, you know, incredible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you guys have actually built and, and kind of nurtured a really cool community of music lovers. Uh, how, how do you guys go about that? You know, what are some of the things you do to kind of, you know, keep it growing and keep people talking about the music that you guys, you know, share on a monthly basis? Yeah. It's so funny that you asked that question because I've never really thought about it, but, um, what it comes down to is like, we haven't, developed the community ourselves it's sort of developed on its own what we've done is like fostered the conversation um so we're super active on social media we respond to just about every tweet we respond to like the majority of the facebook posts and whatnot uh we'll re retweet a lot of things we'll ask for members to submit like pictures and uh and all of that and it really just engages the community to where it's sort of created this network of connections amongst members 
um, to where they're having like their own conversations on Twitter uh, and just kind of including us and like we're not even partaking. They're just talking about it, uh, which is super cool that they've sort of connected and they could be, you know, on totally opposite ends of the world, but they're connecting around a single point, which is the record of the month um, and kind of a unique uh, like thing that they have in common, which is their vinylly pleased membership. I mean, we've had stories of one people like have been in their apartment buildings and they've seen multiple vinylly pleased boxes being delivered at the same time. And like <laughs> all of a sudden those random people become friends and have like listening parties for their records and stuff like that. I mean, people have started like dating as a result of having vinylly pleased memberships and whatnot. Um, at festivals, somebody was wearing a Vinylly Please t-shirt at Bonnaroo and, and said that like a couple of their members came up to him and was like, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Vinylly Please member too. Like, what do you think of that month's record or, you know, whatever? Like, what's been your favorite record? And I think that just the fact that we've given people uh, a product that they love and, and have embraced that they've sort of taken on the community development on their own. Um, and now we've got a forum to where people are posting like, hey, I'm doing this. Uh, in this city, at this bar, like come hang out if you guys want to. We're going to be spinning the record, bring something else from your collection or whatever. Um, and it's just kind of taken a life of its own, and it's really, really cool to watch. And now that we, now that we've grown to a certain point, we can almost sit back and kind of, you know, enable the conversation as opposed to like continually seeding it. Um, and there are a couple of people, you know, essentially our power users that every month they'll start a thread right away to talk about the current month's record, and then they'll. The day that we announce, uh, like the next month's record, they'll start a thread to guess what the month after that is. Um, so it's just—I mean—it's a really interesting kind of case study around like social. But honestly, I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like we have any secret sauce for like developing a community like this. It just has taken on the life of its own, which I think is way cooler than anything that we probably could have forced out of uh, development or whatever. No, for sure, absolutely. That's that's amazing. As you mentioned earlier in the episode, you guys are still completely bootstrapped. How have you managed to remain independent and grow so quickly? And how did you guys acquire your first customers? Yeah, I mean, that's another great question. Um, I mean, I think the beauty of this subscription model is that it, you know, in theory pays for itself. So somebody's monthly membership then covers all of the costs associated with, you know, sending them the product and maintaining it. Um, so we sort of have a profit margins built into that. So when we first started, we put up a, a landing page to collect email addresses of people that might be interested in the service. And my co-founder and I, we just posted it on our social media pages. Um, and I think we got like 100 email addresses out of it. And then when we, when we were ready to go live, we sent an email to all of those people and 12 of them signed up. And then from there, it was like, we just had those 12 people kind of tell all of their friends and then that grew to 25 and then 40 and then 50 and then 100 and then so on and so forth to where now we're, I think, 14,000 plus members worldwide. Um, and then things like marketing budgets and uh, promotional budgets and all the other stuff has sort of arisen from just the larger membership uh, mm -hmm. and kind of having the, the cash availability of that. And we, you know, really that first year, we, we grew slowly and we only spent money when we had it, we didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot that we could do. And again, it was a side project. It was a nights and weekends thing for my co-founder and I. And like, we didn't think it should require that much time. So we just relied on other people to like tell their friends. And that's how we figured it was going to grow forever and ever. Um, <laughs> to a large, start, a large extent is still true today. But, um, you know, it's just been kind of leveraging the resources that you have and, and making them work for you, uh, whether it's finances or 
advocates or just members. That's kind of been the biggest thing for us. So on the topic of customers, how far has a Vinyl Me Please box traveled? Oh my gosh. Uh, we've got a guy in Moscow. Or we've got a couple <laughs> so of cool. members in Moscow, which is like amazing to me. It takes him like it takes like forty days for him to get his record because it has to go through customs and whatever it takes for to for the Russian post actually to want to deliver it. But um, it's amazing to me, and it, it, he, they're like total, the international people are so cool because they're totally stoked on being able to get like monthly vinyl delivered to to, to their door for like a relatively reasonable cost. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to pay more for shipping and whatnot, and it takes longer. But they're still like insanely excited every month. It's ridiculous. I don't. I don't get it. Uh, and <laughs> That's we crazy. And it, Moscow's far. <laughs> yeah, we're in like forty some countries now. So uh, we have a lot of people in Australia. Uh, we have a couple people in like the Middle East somewhere. I think we have one or two in Japan and China. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of weird to look at just the shipping breakdown and seeing where all of these packages are landing and whatnot. I can just imagine. So what were the most important lessons about startups you've learned over the past few years? Uh, the biggest thing is it's really, really freaking hard. It's uh, a lot of people, have, like people that have not started a company, but want to start a company. Um, I think the biggest misconception they have is that like all you need is an idea, which is true. I mean, you do need an idea, but you also need to be able to execute on it and you be, need to be able to manage and grow it. Um, I think a lot of people, when they're starting a company, they get super, super excited like in the first couple of months and then like it turns into a job and like the work is then real and then they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so the fact of like having to kind of regularly come up to these barriers and have enough energy to solve them is like super exhausting. Um, and just being willing to like commit the time and the energy and knowing getting into it that it's not going to be easy um, is probably the biggest lesson I've learned. And it's it's been really fun. I won't discredit that, but it's been really really hard, both uh, you know on me personally, on me like just challenging my personal development and from a uh, like a professional context as well as personal. Um, I mean, you learn things about yourself that you would have never otherwise learned. That's some really good advice. Um, so do you have any hilarious or unbelievable stories that you'd be able to share about either Vinyl Me Please or some experience you've had in the startup scene? It's, it's sort of a sad story, but it's also like, it's really funny. So uh, what's most interesting about running a business is doing your own customer support, which I highly recommend when you're first getting started, like just answering people's emails and fielding questions and whatnot, you can learn more about uh, what works and what doesn't work by just kind of basically being the person that is responding to emails. Um, and we get a lot of weird things every now and again. <laughs> One in particular, um, I think this girl had bought like her fiance <laughs> uh, a subscription for Christmas last year or something like that. And so she she wrote in and she was like, hey, I need to cancel this subscription. Can you just refund me whatever is left on it? Um, so we said, sure. And you know what we do whenever somebody wants to cancel is we ask for feedback. Like, what did you think? Why are you leaving? Uh, so on and so forth. Just to you know, better understand what, sure. what, what is causing people to leave. And this girl responded. And she was like, honestly, nothing was wrong with the subscription. The reason I'm canceling is because I came home from work today and found my fiance in bed with another woman. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we're just like, <laughs> what? Oh. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> super sad, but, like, the fact that, like, 
somebody just it's just an interaction with somebody you've never met before and like to just put it all out there it's like okay well we will if you want we can just change it over to you and you can get the records and i think she ended up being like yeah please do that that would be awesome and uh so it's just like some weird things like that and customer service is an endless supply of entertainment um, there's a lot of great feedback there too but there's also just a lot of people that you're like what are you thinking uh, <laughs> which it's i mean it's amazing i mean they're all great people but like it's sometimes yeah. you're just like what the hell is going on up there if anything <laughs> oh man that's so good yeah <laughs> so what's next for you and vinyl me please in 2015 uh i mean this is like honestly this is the best time to be a member of vinyl me please we're we're continuing to grow and i think sometimes that uh for whoever might think that like we're going to start cutting corners and you know focus on maximizing our profits and all but like while that's true we are trying to do that but we're trying to do it through efficiency it's not necessarily cutting corners but what we're really doing is like we're building as much value into the subscription as we can like we're giving our goal is to give people more than they ever dreamed they could have gotten for $27 a month um, I mean we're doing more exclusive pressings of like amazing albums that either one have never been on vinyl before or two are just in such high demand that like they deserve to be repressed uh, we're working with labels to get like kind of ongoing member exclusive discounts to their online stores so you can continue to build your record collection. Uh, we're working with brands and partnerships or partners to do like really cool uh, giveaways to do, you know, we've talked about doing a festival and basically flying out every single member from around the world uh, with like a free ticket and whatnot. So, I mean, there's like millions and millions of things that we're doing uh, basically to make the life of our member even better than it already is. That's pretty awesome. That's really, really cool to, to hear. Um, so where do you see the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs? Are there any technologies or industries that really interest you? Uh, yeah, there are a few things. I mean, I think kind of what it comes down to is I'm really interested in uh, kind of like the daily problems uh, or things that just hardships that people face. Uh, and I use hardship. It's a loosely defined term, but because obviously we live in a very highly developed country, so our hardships are not anything like what they might be elsewhere. But um, I think technologies that address a really simple problem and make life easier for the user, those are the things that I'm super interested in. Uh, like I love the idea of Square Cash where it's just a really simple, you send an email and then somebody can get paid. Um, I think a lot of that sort of transactional exchanging of money um, on a P2P level is super interesting. Um, I love Uber and what they're doing and how they're kind of extending their product outside of just, you know, a taxi service to now doing food delivery and whatnot. Um, I mean, I think that stuff is, it's incredible that they can do that. Um, but that kind of stuff is just super interesting to me. Um, just not even on a tech, technological basis, but from a problem solving perspective, I just love kind of taking a really small problem and and obsessing about it and making life easier for people that have to deal with that on a regular basis. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's pretty cool. So what apps, devices, or tools are you using right now? And are there any books that you're currently reading that you would recommend to someone? Yeah, um, apps, I'm probably not much different than anybody else that you've talked to, but I love Sunrise for calendar. Uh, I really like Simple Note for just note-taking. I've tried to use Evernote uh, a million different times, and I just can never... <laughs> 
I think I'm on the same page with that one. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm like the only person in the world that does not like Evernote, but it's like so clunky to me. Um, I keep going back to text edit, so (laughs) bare bones is the way I go. Yeah, simple note is is sort of like text edit, but it's it's easier to manage, so you don't have like a random folder of just documents or whatever. But uh, I think the uh, automatic Matt, uh, what's his name from WordPress? I think they actually bought Simple Notes, so it's it's a really sweet product, and I love it. Um, Google Drive, obviously, all the docs and spreadsheets we use that every day from just like a documentation or whatever internally. Um, we use Box.com for storage, which is great, uh, just to have it on your desktop and on the web, and you can share folders for whomever, you know, share assets and all that. Um, I use Mailbox for just email and whatnot, although their desktop beta app still blows and it really, really bugs me. Um, and then we use Slack for like internal chat and communication and stuff like that. So nothing out of the ordinary from an app perspective. Um, but a cu- couple of books that I love, I'm in the middle of membership economy right now, which is really, really great for anybody building a subscription-driven business. I mean, it's, it's fascinating and it, it really addresses, I think the challenges that arise through a subscription-driven driven company are not always unique to that company and there are challenges that are just kind of inherent to the model um, that this book does a really really great job of addressing and then sort of helping you think through uh, resolutions to those problems and again like nothing is so black and white that you can just simply uh, drop it in and and answer it but um, it really just kind of helps identify what the problem actually is and then uh, gives you some tools for solving that. That's really uh, cool. Yeah, so it's a the, great book. So on the theme of music throughout this episode, what are you currently listening to right now? Oh, man, I hate this question. <laughs> uh, I am listening to a lot of things. I've recently, the last couple of weeks, I've been sort of diving back into things that I listened to a lot you know, many years ago and maybe forgotten about or just didn't quite understand. But one record of note is uh, The Lemon of Pink by The Books. Um, it's a really, really great record. It's sort of weird and quirky, but um, there's so many cool melodies and there's so many cool layers in each of the songs that, I mean, you could listen to it probably a hundred times straight through and, and discover something new about it. Um, another really great record that's sort of a new release is a, from a band called Girl Pool. Um, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Before World. Um, but it's just really unique. It's sort of like these, I think it's two girls and it's guitar and bass and then vocals. Um, so there's no drums, there's no keys, there's no, like hardly anything. It's very, no flaws, but her, uh, I don't know what the phrase I'm thinking of is. Um, but yeah, it's not very like interesting from like a musical perspective, but like some of the melodies and some of the harmonies that they have are just like, you, they're just so quirky and weird that like it's really intriguing. Um, so I, I love that record. The new Leon Bridges record, which comes out on Tuesday, is really, really great. Um, there's a new record by a band called Bully that I'm super excited about. I think it comes out tomorrow. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, but I love their EP that came out um, from a couple years ago. And then one record that I just got on vinyl like after years of wanting it is uh, Ghost is Born by Wilco and mm-hmm. listen to that like four times this weekend and just amazed by, again, the, the texture and the layers that are in that record, the songwriting. I mean, Jeff Tweedy, in my opinion, is basically God on earth. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, anything that they put out, I, I just love. But Ghost is Born is particularly one of my favorites. That's awesome. That's really cool. There's some good recommendations in there. Uh, we'll make sure to link to all of them uh, where possible, too. So yeah. uh, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think others should know about? I think one thing, one of the bigger questions or one of the bigger lessons that I've learned, uh, especially recently, is that fear drives a lot of decisions or non-decisions. Uh, and it can be a fear of failing or a fear of what people think or, you know, really fear of anything. Um, and for me, it's sort of like trying to think about like w almost what would you do if you weren't afraid, which I think is a very cliche statement, but I think it holds merit. And, and for entrepreneurs particularly is that all of these things, all of the things that we talk about, all of the businesses that are launched are really driven on somebody just sort of having a reckless abandonment mm -hmm. towards solving a particular problem. Um, and if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be successful and however you define it, then you sort of have to like just resign to the fact that like you're always going to be afraid, but you have to continue to act. Um, and if you're afraid and it stagnates you, then that's going to kill you at the end of the day. Um, so it's, it's just been a theme that I've been wrestling with a lot lately. And how do you sort of remove the element of fear, but also, you know, act with some confidence and, and whatnot. And even with the uncertainty that lies around startups, it's fear is everywhere, but, um, it's just a really important thing I think to, to think about and to acknowledge when you're being afraid and when you're acting out of fear, as opposed to, you know, coming through something with a, a position of confidence and, you know, trusting yourself and having faith in your own ability to execute that is ultimately going to carry you way further than being scared or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's huge. I feel like I owe you like a ton of money right now or something. <laughs> just like, well, wow. I, <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's intense, but that's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so hard to like pinpoint and it's, I think it's one of those things that is commonly uh, overlooked in the startup world is that like you see, uh, you see like companies like Slack that right out of the gate, they've got like a $10 billion valuation. And, you know, as a young guy from the suburbs of Chicago, you think like, there's no way I could ever do that. Like, I'm not even going to try. Like, that's just stupid. But there's a lot to be said for just trying and putting something out there. And, you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, then you learn a lot in the process, both about yourself and about business and about building a company and stuff like that, that, you know, you wouldn't have otherwise known. It's 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 just silly to to sit on your couch and basically think that you're not capable and that you don't have the ability to do anything because you do if you want to. You just sort of have to want to do it. For sure, absolutely, man. This has been uh, an incredible episode. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt, uh, and for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on, and this was a great conversation. So, uh, love talking to you. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.